Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. Welcome to Channel 127. Hey, hey, as George Clinton says, folks, it's always better by Thursday. And congratulations on making it this far. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad the week is already almost done. I'm so glad we have so much to discuss, so much to process, so much to make sense of, and so much to mock, ridicule, and besmirch with dick jokes. We have a great one tonight. Some of our favorite regulars will be here, Professor Corey Brechneider, to talk about the Supreme Court and the Constitution and what's going on with AP African American Studies and Ron DeSantis. Uh, Dr. Jason Nichols of the University of Maryland will be with us as well to talk about fallout from the Memphis Police Department. And uh, Chris Houselt is our executive producer running this thing from the South Carolina studios. I'm John Fugelsang coming to you. From New York City, couple of announcements. We got some. We got some celebrities coming on the show. Uh, can Thank I can God. I announce all these people? Christoph Waltz hey. is going to be here. Two time, two time Academy Award winner. That's both, a bingo. Both of his both of his Oscars for films that Quentin Tarantino made, which which makes him the the, the Diane Weist of of actors. Because Diane Weist got two Oscars for Woody Allen movies, and Christoph Waltz has an Oscar for uh, the Inglorious Bastards. That was the first movie I ever saw where everyone left the theater saying, you know, I love the Nazi. Never heard those words before. And of course, uh, he won a second richly deserved Oscar uh, as the bounty hunter in Django Unchained. We're thrilled he's going to be here tomorrow night on the Love Fest. It's going to be a double whammy. Uh, Tony Award winner and multiple Emmy and Golden Globe nominee Alan Cumming is with us. Now, he's he's coming on. We, we taped the conversation. He, he came on to talk with me about this new reality show he's doing. It's cute. It's it's fun. We, you know, we have some laughs. But um, this is the same week that he returned his Order of the British Empire medal back to Buckingham Palace. He he, he was very grateful they gave it to him, saying it's great that the, the, the royal family is in the, the, the empire is honoring me for my LGBT work back in 2009. But he eventually, over the years, came to have a, a rather acute perception on what those words British Empire meant, and he decided uh, he didn't want to be a part of colonialism and returned the honor. Happened this week, and let me tell you, it freaked our friend Piers Morgan the hell out. So, you know, he came in to talk about his reality show, but I only wanted to talk about this, and it's quite a conversation. You don't want to miss it. He's just 
hilarious and we go through everything we eventually got to doing shakespeare with julie taymore and anthony hopkins we talked about eyes wide shut because he's in eyes wide shut he plays the the gay bellhop who tries to flirt with tom cruise in one scene is so many stories it's a blast also on tomorrow night's show we're finally airing my conversation with the legendary timothy b schmidt of uh, poco and of the Eagles. I can't tell you why it's taken this long. I just wanted to slip in. I can't tell you why, because that was the Eagles' last number one, and he wrote it. Uh, really, really thrilled to have him with us. And on Monday, you don't want to miss this, Ryan Johnson and Natasha Leone together talking about the infectiously, obnoxiously watchable show Poker Face on Peacock. Chris, I finally saw all first four episodes uh, after you raved about yes. it. And yeah, yes. I, I wish I'd watched them before uh, I interviewed them. It was really awkward. I, I, I tried to avoid talking about the show. No, I saw it. But no, yeah, it was really fun. It would have been. I mean, the interview, you were just like, uh, Poker Face, uh, what's this about? Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, unfortunately, I asked nothing but questions about Star Wars The Last Jedi, which I don't think Ryan Johnson appreciated. He didn't come to talk about yeah. it, but I, I, I had issues. You're like, all right, listen, I got uh, two aces and a jack of hearts. Is that something? Should I fold, hit? <laughs> um, it's really, really fun. And a lot of other celebrities coming up that we're hoping to get. Now that the election's over, we can we can book all kinds of people. It doesn't all have to be, holy shit, we're all going to die all the time. We can have some celebrities and more comedians and more authors and more mental health stuff and pop culture stuff. And, and of course... As always, we will be taking your calls because um, we're still fighting fascism all day long. Boy, howdy, are we? Now, really quick, a couple more announcements. I am going to be uh, doing some shows. Apparently, I'll be in Connecticut uh, doing a spoken word show on Saturday the 11th. If you're in Connecticut, you can go to my website or my Twitter and find the flyer information about that because I can't memorize all this stuff. Uh, on Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, if you're in New York City and you're not into the Super Bowl, which... If you're in New York City, there's a decent chance. Decent chance. Why not come see uh, some very funny comedians, including the great Carol Montgomery of Showtime's Funny Women of a Certain Age, doing uh, this spoken word show that we're doing about aging, I guess. I'm going to talk about having a child when you're geriatric, having a child when you've been in your relationship for 19 years and think, you know what? We've, we've done really well. Two decades. Let's let's ruin it with a baby now. So that show is called What's So Funny About Aging at Caveat on Clinton Street in New York City at seven o'clock on the 12th. I, you know what? Seriously, here's my awkward thing about the Super Bowl. I've said it before. Um, I don't like football, but I do enjoy head injuries. So it's always awkward for me. And then the Monday night after that, I'm doing a play. Uh, at, uh, I'm playing Arthur Miller in a play about Arthur Miller. And Joe DiMaggio meeting at a bar years after Marilyn Monroe died, written by our friend comedian Sean Lynch. And that's going to be at the Friars Club, but I don't even know if I'm allowed to promote that. So I've already said too much. We're so blessed to have you with us. Let's do this thing. Can't find my bell prop in the new basement studio. So today was the National Prayer Breakfast. I hope you celebrated appropriately. I stay home with family and exchange gifts quietly. Every National Prayer Breakfast, you know, there's all this pressure to drink and party. I got to say, Joe Biden spoke beautifully, and he reflected briefly on his talk yesterday with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Just before Christmas, I offered a message to the country, a message that is to the heart of the Christian faith, but yet is universal, a universal message of hope, of joy, of love, whether you're Christian, whether you're Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, or, or any other faith or no faith at all. It speaks to all of us as human beings who are here on this earth primarily to care for our, one another. Look, look out for one another and to love one another. It's not always easy. It's hard, but that's, that's our, our, our mission. 
The message is always important, but especially important during tough times, like what we've been through the last three, four, five years. The pandemic has taken so much from us, from so many people. We've lost so much with one another. We lost so many people, over a million lives lost in America alone, a million lives lost. Biden went on to say, let's just sort of kind of join hands again a little bit. Let's start treating each other with respect. And then he talked about McCarthy and said, that's what Kevin and I are going to do. Not a joke. We had a good meeting yesterday. I think we got to do it across the board. It doesn't mean we're going to agree and fight like hell, but let's treat each other with respect. That's how the day began. And then came the afternoon. And then we saw, well, how craven and sad and hypocritical and weak and just flat out lame Kevin McCarthy is as House Republicans successfully voted to remove Congresswoman Ilhan Omar from the House Foreign Affairs Committee, which helped them fulfill a long sought vow from GOP leaders. Now, the, the Republicans were working for all week to try to get enough votes to pass the resolution because there's a few people in Congress who know Ilhan Omar and they're Republicans and they know that she's a nice person and they know that criticizing the civilian government of Israel is not criticizing Judaism. And a few Republican members had said they would oppose throwing Ilhan Omar off the committee because they don't want to go tit for tat with Democrats. You know, the forcible committee removal begat forcible committee removal. But in the end... As Hakeem Jeffries predicted, Republicans mostly united. This was the third time in recent years that an opposing party in power has forcibly removed a member in the minority from a panel. And Democrats in the last Congress did it to Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar because they posted violent comments or social media posts with animation of violence directed at sitting members of Congress. Now, what did Ilhan Omar do? Why, why, why is she so controversial? Why, why do they say that she's anti-Semitic? Well, it's a good question, and it needs to be discussed. In 2019, Congresswoman Omar, Omar attacked uh, peop, some people who support Israel, saying it's all about the Benjamins, and said they're expressing allegiance to a foreign country. Now, that's problematic language, right? Because it says, okay, if you're pro-Israel, then it's sort of dual loyalty. That's the kind of shit Trump does all the time. It's not cool. And um, Ilhan Omar apologized. Again, never attacked Judaism, never attacked Israel. She was attacking certain supporters of the civilian government of Israel. But she said she was sorry. And the House Democrats passed a resolution condemning both of those comments. And she supported it. Right? How much more contrite do you get? She said she was sorry. She supported the measure that denounced her comments. So today, in a vote that was 218 to 211... Uh, House Republicans succeeded in kicking her off the Foreign Affairs Committee. She did not lose her most prominent policy platform without a fight. Uh, she gave quite, quite a speech. Um, she talked about how her ouster was all about who gets to be an American, whose opinions do we have to have to be counted as Americans. Here's Ilhan Omar today. I will continue to speak up because representation matters. I will continue to speak up for little kids who wonder who's speaking up for them. I will continue to speak up for families around the world who are seeking justice. Whether they are displaced in refugee camps or they are hiding under their beds somewhere like I was, waiting for the bullets to stop. Because this 
child survivor of war would have wanted that. The nine-year-old me would be disappointed if I didn't talk about the victims of conflict, those that are experiencing unjust wars, atrocities, ethnic cleansing, occupation, or displacement like I did. They are looking to the international community and the United States, asking for help. They look to us because the international community and the United States profess the values of protecting human rights and upholding international law. So we owe it to them not to make this a myth, but a reality. I didn't come to Congress to be silent. I came to Congress to be their voice. And my leadership and voice will not be diminished if I am not on this committee for one term. My voice will get louder and stronger, and my leadership will be celebrated around the world as it has been. So take your vote or not. I am here to stay, and I am here to be a voice against harms around the world and advocate for a better world. Man, and they took the vote, and they did not care what Ilhan Omar had said. She even backed a new resolution declaring Israel to be America's legitimate and democratic ally and condemning anti-Semitism. And again, she not only apologized for her comments in the past, but she supported the resolution condemning him. None of that was enough. Congresswoman Nancy Mace was on Bill Maher the other night, pretending to be a moderate, and one of the last Republican holdouts to this scheme to kick Congresswoman Omar from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. She finally came out of McCarthy's office earlier today and said she supported it. She said that she got McCarthy to agree to create an ethics committee process for future committee removals. In the end, there was only one defection, uh, Congressman Dave Joyce of Ohio. He just voted present. Um, Congressman Jared Moskowitz said he thought Ilhan Omar didn't belong in the panel, but he voted no uh, to protect the institution. And then there's poster child for Republican moral standards, George Santos. George Santos lied about the Holocaust. That's all you need to know as a setup for this clip. Mr. Speaker, today I rise to congratulate my colleagues on voting to remove Representative Ilhan Omar from the Foreign Affairs Committee. The passage of H.R. 76 sends a strong message that we support Israel and the Jewish community. I urge the 118th Congress to now stand together, proudly upholding every single American, no matter race, pedigree, religion, nor creed, as any less American than their neighbor. That Jewish Americans are patriotic Americans, and that we all have a role in fighting bigotry and anti-Semitism in our country. We must make sure that the House of Representatives reflects such principles as a united body. I yield back. Excrement. He means none of it. The entire Republican Party means none of it. Because we already know, my brothers and sisters, anti-Semitism, actual naked anti-Semitism, actual pushing tropes and lies about the Jewish people is acceptable to Kevin McCarthy and his caucus. And I got to say, House Democrats put up quite a fight. Uh, and a lot of them said they criticized her at the time for her comments about Israel, and and they still supported her. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said this is about targeting women of color in the United States of America. Rashida Tlaib said, where are the free speech warriors today? The hypocrisy is obvious to the American people. Let's talk about that hypocrisy. Because one of the first things this Republican Party, these crusaders against anti-Semitism, these fighters for the dignity of the Jewish people. You know, remember one of the, remember way back, way back in, in, in January of 2023, 
one of the first things Kevin McCarthy did once he got control of the House was to restore committee privileges to Georgia's own Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, remember, she lost her committee over many of her bigoted statements. Think about this. She put out social. This is Marjorie Taylor Greene. She wrote social media posts praising QAnons. She said that Muslims shouldn't be allowed to serve in the government. She she said 9-11 was an inside job. She said mass shootings have been staged. She said Zionist supremacists are secretly facilitating Muslim immigration to Europe so there'll be fewer white people. She said this white replacement theory for Europe. And she said the Rothschilds may have used a space laser to set the forest fires in California. The only defense she had, she said she didn't realize the Rothschilds were Jewish. She went to the white nationalist Nazi conference with Nick Fuentes, who is a Nazi and is trying to mainstream Nazism in our country. You know how she apologized for all of this? She, she apologized, and then she took her apology back, saying, I have nothing to apologize for. Marjorie Taylor Greene pushed a conspiracy theory that a plane didn't hit the Pentagon on 9-11. She called Afghan refugees and Ilhan Omar terrorists. Marjorie Taylor Greene referred to Muslim congresswomen as the Jihad Squad. There's a Facebook post from 2018 where she talked about the Iran deal, which is one of the greatest things Barack Obama ever did. And and a commenter asked to her, uh, now do we get to hang them, meaning H&O? And she said, yes. Think about Donald Trump. Think about all the anti-Semitism we've heard from that hump, complaining about the American Jews not being grateful enough, not having the good sense of the Israeli compatriots, telling American Jews to get your acts together because you're not as good as the evangelical Christians. The way he talked before AIPAC about how Jews are good with money, how Jews are nat- good Jews are loyal to Israel, how he called Mark Zuckerberg Zuckerbucks, on and on, things that would have gotten any Democrat kicked out of Congress. <laughs> so they don't have a problem with anti-Semitism. They don't have a problem with hatred of Jews. This was them attacking a brown woman. This was them attacking a Muslim woman. This was them attacking a refugee. This was Ron DeSantis politics. We have nothing to offer you, but we will denigrate someone that our media has taught you to hate. That's it. Has nothing to do with anti-Semitism. They are indifferent to that. And then they had another stunt. The GOP put an anti-socialism resolution on the House floor and Democrats were not having it. I mean, performance, just a performance. Come out and say you condemn socialism. Democrats didn't want to play the game. So Kevin McCarthy came out. And again, this is what they're going to do. They have nothing to offer you. Okay, so be ready for this. It's going to be they they said they were going to take on gas prices. They said they were going to fight inflation. You're not going to get that. You're going to get Hunter Biden. You're going to get Ilhan Omar. You're going to get lies about they're coming to take away your gas stoves. They're going to talk about the word woke and complain about M&Ms. And they're going to take AP African-American history down and, and scream about Hunter Biden and critical race theory and try to have a 30 percent sales tax. You get the idea. So Kevin McCarthy, this is the plan. They will do nonsense and performative bullshit. And then they'll make speeches that will air on Fox News to make your uncle racist and Aunt dead inside think they're doing something for them. Here's Kevin McCarthy right now, shocked at these horrible Democrats who couldn't condemn that evil socialism. A couple of interesting things happen on the floor right now. You had almost, if you combine the number of Democrats who voted no and voted present, there's 100 Democrats that won't stand up against socialism. That's a real concern to me in America today. It's not just... That wasn't a college vote on a college campus. That was a vote in the U.S. Congress that 100 Democrats 
couldn't say socialism was wrong. That's a scary point of view, but you also understand why we're in a spending problem that they are when they were in the majority. That's why you understand the challenges that we have here. Now, it's going to be delicious watching his caucus eat him alive. Can you imagine how bad it's going to end for Kevin McCarthy? He's going to make John Boehner look like FDR had a kid with Lincoln. And by the way, all that socialism talk, that's Kevin McCarthy. He's the son of a taxpayer-funded fire chief. He attended a public university in Bakersfield, California. He has a taxpayer-funded job. He has taxpayer-funded health care. Kevin McCarthy has never worked in the private sector, and he's screaming about socialism in a taxpayer-funded building. Oh, and by the way, this country is what? Uh, we're almost uh, 100 and, 250 years old, close to it, mm, 247 years old. Um, 25% of all of our debt in 247 years, 25% of all the debt came in Donald Trump's four years. <laughs> they have never heard of Medicare or Social Security or the military. They don't know what socialism means. And they're counting on the fact that the people who watch Fox News don't know what socialism means either. And they have no sense of history. Again, these are the people who quote the founding fathers who owned slaves on the importance of property rights. Harry Truman said it, folks, 71 years ago, 71 years ago. Harry Truman said socialism is a scare word they've hurled at every advance the people have made. Socialism is what they call public power, social security, deposit insurance and independent labor organizations. Socialist is their name for anything that helps all people. 1952, Harry Truman calling out the Republican Party. Also keep this in mind, please. Jews are 2% of our population. But among Democrats elected in Washington, D.C., they're 15% of the population. Among Republicans, they're less than 1% of the population. And that's the game. They're going to excuse bigotry on their side while they denounce bigotry against their enemies. Remember, the Democrats took it seriously. The Democrats censured Ilhan Omar. The Democrats got her to apologize. And she did. And has continued to. So, in closing, <laughs> Hakeem Jeffries didn't waste any time at all. After Republicans kicked Ilhan Omar off the House Foreign Affairs Committee, he immediately put her on the House Budget Committee, which is a powerful position. He said the self-proclaimed moderate Republicans flip-flopped again, this time on the Omar resolution. They will consistently fall in line with extreme MAGA Republicans. Count on it. So that's what happened after the White House prayer breakfast, when Joe Biden said we're going to have more respect for each other. And by the way, I know a lot of you are upset over there being a White House prayer breakfast. I, I understand. But keep, keep this in mind. Having a White House prayer breakfast does not make the U.S. a Christian nation. Being a Christian nation, that would require caring for the sick and caring for the poor and then ending poverty and the death penalty and not starting any fights and ending high interest rates on the poor. <laughs> We're never going to be a Christian nation. They're never gonna want it. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is SiriusXM Progress. We're at 866-997-4748. I'm John Fugelsang. And as you know, if you've been listening to this show this week, there is an effort going on in Florida to, you know, cherry pick history. Um, The college board revised their AP African-American Studies course following backlash from Ron DeSantis and some Florida lawmakers. They took out anything contemporary that Ron DeSantis didn't like. They took out ideas. They took out talking about Black Lives Matter. They took out anything relating to critical race theory. They took out theories and ideas and concepts They're banning things you think about. That's how scared they are. And it's easy to say Ron DeSantis is on the wrong side of history. But the problem is Ron DeSantis is on the right side of people who like living on the wrong side of history. And being on the wrong side of history, Ron DeSantis is betting that is going to be enough to help him take over Trump with getting the vote of you-know-who. For more, let me bring in Professor Corey Brechneider, who graces our series every Thursday night. He, of course, uh, is a, a political science teacher in the poli-sci department at Brown. You may have read his stuff in New York Times, Time Magazine, Politico. You have to get Corey's book, The Oath in the Office, A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents. It's beautiful, and it's a great gift for the smart, moral person in your life. Also, check out his Penguin Liberty series books on free speech, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's notable cases and impeachment. Professor Brett Schneider, let's get barely legal. How are you? <laughs> Thanks, John. I I know that we've talked about that that uncomfortable uh, title for. for I keep a, trying to get him. I keep asking the together. Can we, and I'm like, can we please call the segment barely legal? Say. He's like, oh, I'm Ivy League. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it makes me laugh every time. I still get embarrassed, <laughs> even at the How part of it. Corey, it's very good to hear your voice, Professor. How you doing? Thank you. I'm looking forward to this. And uh, what a great intro to the discussion to say that it really is about ideas. There's so much politics in all of this and the focus. Oh, yeah. And, well, um, well, yeah. You know, of course, it, I'm backing not, it, down. I, yeah. But it is about ideas. Well, yeah, and it's not because Ron DeSantis really cares about getting the AP African-American history curriculum correct. It's not something he pours over right. a, a lot of time. <laughs> right. But it takes a special kind of soul to make this announcement um, on the first day of Black History Month. And those events were not a coincidence. And uh, I'm curious, where where do we begin? I mean, talking about reparations as a theory, as an argument, has right. now been stripped from African-American studies because Ron DeSantis demanded they do it nationwide. Yeah, I think, you know, a good place to begin is with the ideas. And you and I, in our discussions, talk about history a lot. And I think one reason why listeners enjoy listening to us and enjoy listening to your show generally is because that history isn't just a series of facts. It's tied to things that matter right now. And as an educator, you know, that's what I think students care about. They want to learn not just, you know, a series of this happened, this happened, this happened. They want to know about the history of punishment and how mass incarceration that obviously discriminates against black people, what what were its roots in the post-Civil War period? And, uh, you know, that's what the AP, in, in the draft anyway, proposed to do, that you would read uh, Michelle Alexander's important book about um, punishment and, and race 
the new Jim Crow. And that got stripped out. That was one of the things that I thought, wow, how, how can that be? And, mm. you know, you would ask the question about, you know, how does discrimination based on race and discrimination based on gender and sex relate to one another? How do they, and, you know, this is a phrase you hear, but, but just think of it in the simple terms. How do they how do they intersect? That's the kind of thing that students care about. And if you That's have right. that as your lens, the history just becomes so much more meaningful. Now, what happened? <laughs> it got turned in, I would say politicized, in the, but in the most craven way. You know, the, the right has just made up this story about critical race theory, what they call critical race theory, that has nothing to do with um, the people who actually right in that tradition. Those Correct. people are just addressing the questions I mentioned. And, you know, how a, a sort of simple thing, which is to become knowledgeable, to become educated, this is after all, for those listeners who don't know him, I guess it's most, most do, but, you know, the advanced placement course is meant to be a college course. And that's, that's right. to me what it's higher not taught in public school. Not, not just facts, but the lens of, of theory and ideas. Well, but that's it, right? I mean, critical race theory is uh, demonized by people who are uh, practitioners of what I call uncritical of racism facts. And I mean, we talked about this last night. AP has courses in Chinese language and culture, European history, German culture, AP Italian language and culture, Japanese language and culture, AP Spanish language and culture. But the African-American AP culture course was, in the words of, uh, of, of DeSantis's office, inexplicably contrary to Florida law and significantly lacks educational value. And I got to say, the fact that the College Board did everything he wanted. They purged the names of so many black writers, anyone associated with critical race theory or black feminism or or the queer experience or no mention of reparations, no mention of Black Lives Matter. But they do put in black conservatism. That's now offered as an idea for a research project. So they got rid of bell hooks, but they put in diamond and silk. <laughs> diamond. Is that true? Diamond and silk is in there? Black conservatism is now offered as an yeah. idea for research oh, projects God. in the new uh, curriculum right. for AP African American Studies. I mean, so these people can't stop trying to write a paper about it, and that might qualify. But mentioning bell hooks, yeah, mm-hmm. well, bell uh, hooks. That, you know, all, that, all mention of bell hooks is now removed from AP uh, African American History. All mention of yeah. bell hooks is gone. I, I love your. I'll just uh, riff a little bit on your point about European history. You know, European history is all about the history of ideas you, you learn about. Locke and Rousseau and Hegel and how that related to questions like the French Revolution, the opponents of the French Revolution. I don't hear DeSantis objecting to that. That's about ideas. So mm-hmm. uh, that's about values, but it just is, you know, uh, not threatening to his base. And I think these are a, a set of ideas that when you're exposed to them, um, undermine a certain kind of, you know, casual white supremacy that, that DeSantis wants to embrace. And that's really what's going on here. And, you know, why else deny the ability of people to look into the history of racism when it comes to incarceration or, or any of the other themes that I mentioned? It's because your, your base doesn't want it. Uh, you know, I don't know what happened in the college board in terms of their internal negotiations, but I thought that the quote from the amazing uh, scholar Frederick Douglass uh, uh, Professor Blight, what, what he said is, you know, it doesn't matter. The point is that they announced this on the, um, you know, on on the edge of DeSantis calling for them to do exactly this, and and they right. just shouldn't have. 
they shouldn't have caved in that way. They shouldn't have allowed for the perception that they were caving in. Who knows what their internal deliberations were? But once he did that, this wasn't the time to make that announcement. And, uh, you know, if it really was pedagogical, I'd like to hear those reasons because I haven't heard them either. I mean, I, I've seen them say that, but, but uh, you know, what's the argument here? And, and again, like as an educator, this really just seems like the most craven politics attacking the way that we think about our Correct. history and, and the lens we bring to it. But you know what? Can I go even a step beyond that, though? Because sure. all of this is performative on the part of Ron DeSantis. Almost every bit of mm-hmm. legislation he's done has been about casting himself as being mean enough to make Christians who like meanness want him to be president. His whole right. rap has been, I'm the electable Trump. And part of that performative masculine bullshit has been him doing things like the Stop Woke Act which is as stupid right. as its name. Uh, it's going to be impossible <laughs> to enforce. Same with the Don't Say Gay bill. It's, and same with the, sh- moving the migrants. Right. It's always about these very public ways of punching down on marginalized people because he's bet the farm that America is mean enough and shitty enough and fake Christian enough to reward that. And we can talk about it all day. This act goes perfectly in line with that. But, <laughs> Professor, you make an even better point and something that I haven't heard anyone say, which is that... It, it even goes deeper than what Ron DeSantis is going right now, because when you're talking about history, when you're teaching history, when you're trying to understand and get a sense of history, it it's really isn't just about facts. It's also right. about analysis and competing analyses, or dare I right. call them theories. You right. have to have theories when you're talking about history. Right. Right. And I think... Uh... You know, you don't want critical race theory. You think it's wrong and flawed. Say why. You know, I think that should be part of the course. They say, but they say why. They say it's because they say it's because it teaches white kids to be ashamed of themselves, and that's a lie. But Marjorie Taylor Greene just stands up in Congress and goes, "It's a racist thing against white people that says your skin's not as good as black skin." No one has ever said that, but this is what the racists do. They will demonize anything that's anti-racist while turning a blind eye to the racism. Yeah, I mean, I guess in my you know professor hat. The way I would put it is you could imagine a course, and I think this is where the AP was headed. I don't think they were going to just say, okay, this is Kimberly Crenshaw. Everything she says is God's word. They were going to say this is a a lens that's being offered by a a theorist of how to understand history and how to understand the relationship of race and gender. Now, is that the only way to understand it? No. The, The questions would say critically evaluate Professor Crenshaw's approach to the history of sexism and racism in the United States. And if you're a conservative kid, you can bring your arguments. Uh, they, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene, I think, gets an F minus, <laughs> but a, a smart conservative kid could bring arguments, you know, against any of the lenses that are being brought. The thing about theories is they're not, you know, true or false. They're ways of understanding the world. And part of learning is to, you know, engage them, learn them. But instead what you get modeled by, uh, DeSantis, who, you know, and at its worst, Marjorie Taylor Greene, is uh, a refusal to even understand or to think. Yeah. And so in a way, despite the fact that they are trying to perform for their constituency, they're really showing what it is to be uh, anti-intellectual and and against education in the most fundamental way. And, th- and that's why really, you know, this is a war on education. And that's how, um, you know, intellectuals and academics and people who are just interested in, in thinking and in knowing history hmm. have to stand up to it. I'll say one other thing, which is 
in a way, it's, you know, Trump was, of course, a particular kind of pernicious president. January 6th, the overt racism. This is slightly more subtle, but it's it's also dangerous in a different way, which is the attempt to commandeer history, to make us ignorant of it, to tell a story that can be very powerful. I mean, the the way that Reconstruction got turned into uh, the fake idea that when um, African-Americans in this country gained the right to vote, that they became abusive and corrupt. That was a narrative that controlled white supremacy in the 20th mm. century for so long by controlling history. And I worry that's where we're headed, that by erasing our history, it's an attempt to try to reshape the culture around well, there's no other way to say it around the idea that white people rule this country and, and should continue yeah. to do so. Well, let's let's talk about the past and the future, because this amazing story that's in The Washington Post right now, how ideological foes united on ideas for amending the Constitution. It, it's quite remarkable. I mean, they got together a group of, of conservative legal scholars and progressive legal scholars and then libertarian, which is to say, you know, conservative with good taste in music, I guess. Uh, and the National <laughs> Constitution Center asked all three teams of these law professors to pretty much what, like draft new versions of our Constitution? Yeah, I just love this story. Uh, the, the Right. The, the Constitution Center said, can you agree? That was the idea, not just to, to give from their own ideological camp ideas, but what is it that you actually could agree about? What are reforms to the Constitution that would just help democracy. And I thought in the beginning, like, what are they going to come up with? And they came up with some pretty great ideas. Um, And, you know, to my mind, we'll we'll talk about some of them, but the theme here that they agreed on, which I've, you and I have been talking about for years, including well into the Biden administration, Mm -hmm. is that the presidency has become too dangerous. The idea that you could get some whack job elected, which we know has happened at least twice in the Nixon case and, in, and certainly yeah. in the Trump case, and uh, risk the future of democracy, that's too dangerous. We have to figure out ways of constraining that office that has become too dangerous. And, and one way to do it would be through these amendments. They sound very wonky, but to my mind, what they I don't share think they do at all. I mean, we, core is, is a limit yeah. on the presidency. Well, we, we got a few minutes left. Let, let's talk about this, because what surprised me the yeah. most was there was a lot of overlap, and, and it turns out these yeah. the, these the, the conservatives, the libertarians, and the liberals actually agreed on proposals for five amendments to the Constitution. The first one being right. the Twenty Eighth Amendment, which would pretty much eliminate um, natural born citizenship. Right, so like people mm-hmm. who were born in other countries, like Henry Kissinger or Arnold Schwarzenegger or Barack Obama, could run for president. Right, I love that, and mm-hmm. it's Racist a way too, of the symbolizing that this country doesn't discriminate based on. Yeah where you were born or what your ethnicity is, what your national origin, the exact opposite of Trump's travel ban. And one way to symbolize that broader goal is um, through this terrific and important proposed amendment. It's it's really great. Um, and it would allow Vladimir Putin to run for president. Uh, the 29th <laughs> Amendment seems like a, a real balance of power kind of compromise yeah. to keep uh, presidents from getting too powerful. What would the 29th Amendment be, Professor? They have a this one is a little wonky, but I think it's the most important. There was after Nixon something called the Emergencies Act, and it said a very simple thing, which is if a president declares an emergency and think of Trump's wall, for instance, uh, which he tried to do through his emergency powers and two houses of Congress get a majority, uh, then um, uh, they can 
uh, stop the emergency. Pretty simple thing. But the Supreme Court, through uh, the influence of Judge Bork and especially Justice Scalia, uh, came up with what they called um, uh, what they claimed was an unconstitutional power of Congress to veto the power of the president. And what they said was that things like the Emergencies Act uh, usurp presidential power too, too strongly. So in a, in a series of cases, one famous one called Chada, they stripped out the ability of Congress to use its so-called legislative veto. Now, what does that mean? It means that the Emergencies Act, which was designed with this simple idea that you could stop an emergency, became exactly the opposite. It had to be rewritten. It was rewritten. Mm. So that now presidents have to sign off on the end of their own emergencies, or you need two-thirds of both houses in order to stop it. So what this amendment would do is it would put things back in place and say, look, you can have a normal way of constraining presidential emergencies. It's enough for two houses to just say no to the president with a majority vote. That's such an important thing because we saw emergency powers of the kind that Trump tried to use in the wall case that he might have tried to use in the January 6th uh, uh, events if if he had been allowed to, uh, really could get out of control. And there has to be a a simple way for Congress to be able to to stop it. So this one, it sounds wonky, legislative veto. It sounds like, you know, 1L law school. But it, it is so important. I think it's the most important of all the proposals. And, and we're really quick, because we're almost out of time. We've only got a minute left. But the 30th Amendment would uh, reform impeachment. It would make it easier to impeach yeah. someone, harder to impeach someone, but easier to convict them. 31st Amendment, listen to this, an 18-year term limit for Supreme Court justices. I can see that being very popular. And each president would get to appoint two judges for a four-year term, which would depoliticize the whole confirmation process. And then finally, the 32nd Amendment. Can you explain what that would be it, it it makes ratifying future amendments a little easier but how so in our final 30 seconds you know i don't remember the details of what they came up with but i think the idea is that under article 5 of our constitution it's just very difficult to 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 change the constitution period so any of these amendments that we're talking about you have to get through two-thirds of both houses and then three-quarters of the mm. states and the thought is, you know, let's ease up on these numbers. Now, the specifics of what they came up with, I, I don't even remember. It's less important than the idea of reforming Article 5 so that it's hmm. easier to change the Constitution. Professor, it's such a pleasure to have you with us. I'm sorry we ran out of time. What's the best way to follow you, Corey? You can follow me uh, at Brett Schneider C. And everyone should read Ghost Season because we're going to interview the author uh, next week. Yes, I'm uh, so excited she's joining you next week. And, and thank you. I'm really excited to talk about Ghost Season. Corey, what a pleasure. We'll see you in a couple of days. Thank you so much. we got to hit our break, folks. We'll be right back with your calls on SiriusXM. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. 
There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. We are at 866-997-4748. I want to get a couple of calls in here really quick. Uh, Pastor J.H. in Connecticut, good evening and welcome. Yes, good evening, and uh, we're praying for everyone for this weekend, especially our homeless people. Uh, yes, sir. Thank you. John, I love how on TikTok and on, on Twitter how you uh, articulated who Jesus really is. It's just amazing, fantastic. Keep it up, you know? Thank, that's so Great. kind, Pastor. Thank you. What, can, I, can I ask, what is your church? What is your denomination? Well, I'm, I'm Baptist by birth, but uh, my church is Jesus Stands for Love and Justice Ministries Incorporated. Oh, very uh, nice. I've been a pastor almost 40 years now, so, well, a minister, pastor. I'm a minister, lawyer, college professor, all three things, but eh, enough of that. Um, listen, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Any pastor that's not afraid to talk about love is a pastor I want to talk to, so thank you. Go ahead. Well, you know, I always, my, my TikTok, my so it is, it's, it's one race, human race, all human. I always end it by saying Christ says what? In Matthew 22, uh, what, uh, uh, 35, 40, love God, love your neighbor self. Who's your neighbor? Go to Luke chapter 10, verses 25, 37. The pastor messed up. The deacon messed up. Samaritan, half Jewish, half Arab, is a hero, has agape love, compassion, concern for the person in need of help. And that's where we need to go here with the Southern yeah. strategy. The Southern strategy is the reason why they're dividing people. The Democrats need to bring people together. In Dr. King's speech from March 25th, 1965, he points out how after the 15th Amendment was passed, that black men and white men voted together in, in uh, fusion coalitions. They didn't care about the skin. They voted economics. They yeah. passed the Civil Rights Act of 1875. It says treat everyone equally, which the Supreme Court gutted in, eight, in 1883. And it Preach. took almost 100 years to pass the same bill that Dr. King says was weaker. What's my point? They're using critical race and all this kind of stuff to divide. No, there's one race, a human race. We're, we came on different ships, black folk in the bottom and Jane's, uh, but we're all on the same boat now. You've got right. to bring people together, Democrats. You've got to talk about I'm poor, you're poor. If I'm white and poor, you're black and poor, Latino. We're the same people. I agree with I, I, I do agree with that, but I, I, I do. But I also think that I need my government to ha- have the moral clarity and bravery to talk about institutionalized racism and not just against African-Americans. But the deck is stacked against non-white people in so many ways. And I think we can do both. I believe in separating bigotry from hatred. You know, bigotry. I mean, bigotry is hatred and racism, I think, is ignorance. And a lot of us and I've been guilty of it, have have been guilty of ignorant white people shit. And then you realize it and either you care and try to get better or you don't. But I, I, I like the whole notion of we came on different boats, but economically, we're, we're not all in the same boat now when it comes to sentencing, when it comes to poverty, when it comes to who's incarcerated. I mean, more white people do drugs than black people, but you can look at the prisons and see how that is played out. So I, I'm with you 100% on it, but I think we have to be able to do both at the same time, Pastor. But the, I'm, I'm with, the data is that there are more poor and low wealth white Americans than there are black. Exactly. Yeah, about exactly. Million, right? So, yeah. And Dr. King was bringing people together. That's what Reverend uh, Bishop uh, Barber and uh, Reverend Liz Steele had. That's right. At the time Dr. King died, he was fighting for white people in Memphis. He was fighting for sanitation workers. He was as pro organized labor and anti war as he was pro civil rights. You're exactly right. But see, what we have to do is this remember the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire? 
on yeah. March 11th, uh, March 25th, 1911, where you have immigrants, you have the uh, uh, Irish people, the Italians, the Jewish people, where those women jumped out of the window because they uh, locked the doors, right? Yes. Immigrants were discriminated against, right? But according, and especially if you're Sicilian, the dark-skinned uh, Italians were discriminated against. Yes, they had white skin privilege, and they became white over the time period. But the fact is that we are all human beings, and we have to work together. And the Democrats Amen. have to bring that home over and over again. That that the corporations, you know, we all need medical care. We all need jobs. We all need yeah. equal education. And that's where you bring people together. And yes, I'm with you. you. Said, I agree with you know that, you know, but, yeah, yeah. When, but you're right. When low income white people, when low income white people realize they have more in common with low income black people than they do with rich white people, you'll see some real change in this country. And that's our point. But see, the Democrats have not articulated that uh, in a way that they should to bring people together. And that's why they're losing. And they should have won the House, you know, I know. back in November. I know. Playing it safe is not going to do it, Pastor. It's a pleasure to hear from you, sir. I hope you'll call more often because you're really classing the joint up and I could use that. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> you're wonderful. Bless you now. Thank you, Bye-bye. sir. Call up more often. Thank you, Pastor. I want to learn about your ministry. My God. We're at 866-997-GRIT. Let me get one more call before the break. It's Kendall in California. How are you, Kendall? Welcome. I'm doing well. Could you explain to me how you've come to the conclusion that Jesus is against the death penalty? Yeah, what I did was I used the Bible, and I used the gospel part where Jesus appears and says things, and from there I got it. Okay. Yeah. Can you explain hell and eternal damnation? That would be the ultimate death penalty. Uh, Well, Jesus overturns the death penalty in his literal first ever gig, the Sermon on the Mount. He overturns eye for an eye. Yeah, he does. He really does. He, he, he also he also says uh, narrow is the way, and you know, the narrow gate and uh, yeah, narrow gate. Yeah, that find it. Yeah. Well, and uh, Bob Dylan wrote a great song based on that. Life, by the nobody way. comes to Father but by me. Um, right. The Bible's full of Jesus saying things that uh, this, he talks about the second death. Right. Let me that, talk about the eternal. death penalty because that's, that's what that's... you ask about. Hang on, Kendall. In, in John chapter that's eight. That's... John chapter 8 is the story of the adulteress who is caught dead to rights. They had every right to stone her to death. Jesus stops the legal execution, and he says only people who have never sinned may carry out an execution. That's pretty cut and dry to me, but I'll go even more. In the Our Father, Matthew six twelve, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Not a big argument for the electric chair. There's more. Matthew 5. I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Jesus, not big on revenge. Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant. That's where Jesus says, they say, how many times do I have to forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. Jesus said, I tell you, you do not forgive them seven times, but 77 times. There's more. Matthew 7. So in everything... Do what others do unto others what you would have them do unto you, right? Matthew 5, blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy. Matthew 9, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then again, yeah, don't forget in Genesis. Greater is, greater is, <laughs> sorry, I can't speak tonight. He said okay. greater is me, the, in me than he is in the world. Yeah, who's greater, God or, or Jesus? The, the Old Testament, you know, he, God 
committed people to death for uh, yes the, he did oh they took a lot of it you could the guy took uh took some what was it silver or whatever and uh no 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 old testament children you you can you can you can execute children who are gluttons or drunks children who disrespect their parents people who work on the sabbath that saturday must be executed the thing about jesus is as a character whether you believe it is fact or not he brings what we call a new covenant and that's why you get but to but drop jesus the homophobia and eat bacon damnation he talks about hell that sure. is the ultimate death penalty. There is no greater death penalty than sure, that. Sure, but we're talking about we're talking about the state having the power to strap a sinner to a table and inject poison into his body until he dies. You find me anything in the teachings of Christ that comes anywhere near that. I just quoted you ten different Jesus he died verses. On the cross. If he was yes. against the death penalty, he would never have permitted that. Dude, if there was no death penalty, he might still be here. He had to be. You've read the book, right? Kendall, you've read the book, Kendall. He had to be sacrificed. He had to die to bring about the sacrifice. That's the whole point of his story. He didn't want to do it. In Gethsemane, he's saying to God, I don't want to drink this cup. Isn't there another way to do it? But he goes through with it. And in the context of the story we've all read, that's why he does it. But when it comes to killing the sinner, that's the opposite of everything he teaches. Everything. Okay. You I know you don't. I don't like. I know. And, you the, and by like the way, uh, this is the, va- the Vatican. The, the Vatican is as opposed. The Vatican about, is as opposed to death penalty as they're opposed to abortion. Go ahead, Kendall. How, how about the husband and wife that lied about the uh, the amount of money that they got for some land that they sold and donated to the church? They dropped dead on the spot. Listen, God kills people all over the place. God smites them all the time. That's how God solves his problems. That's how we know he's a man. I got to go, Kendall. I've enjoyed this, but Jesus was against killing the sinner. If you find any Bible verses I've missed where Jesus supports the state having the power to murder someone, let me know, because that's what the death penalty is. And I'm just not that into big government. I don't think the government should have the power to murder. How about, King people. Herod? How about him? He's not the hero of the Bible I read. Yeah, God smote him down dead. Yeah, God smites all the time, but we're not God. And Jesus was against the death penalty. I just quoted a whole <laughs> bunch of scripture for you, brother. The the difference is kind of the point, right? Uh, yeah. Eternal damn anyway. Yeah. I mean, God is allowed to kill us. God is allowed to send us to hell to suffer, even though I don't By understand way, how fire a, hurts a spirit. Subject, you know. Uh, last night you told a great big fib. What fib did I tell? We got to oh, hit a break, no. Kendall. Tell me what. Tell me my fib. I know you. I know as a Trump supporter, you really yeah. don't like lies. Tell me my can fib. You, can you? Can you? Can you? explain to me why oh, man. Eugene Stoner, Stoner was part of uh, Armalite at the time? They were selling AR-15s in 1963. It wasn't adopted by the military, the Air Force, until 1964. So a whole year. <sighs> Before the military had have to do again, his kids were, say he his, he had AR-15. plenty of chances to say he supported it for civilian use. He never did. His children and family say he did not support it for civilian use. Kendall, it. he designed it for the military. There is no civilian use for AR-15s. And if you believe in Jesus, there's really, really? no use. So when I go coyote, Kendall, Kendall, you're literally calling you here, that claiming that Jesus, Jesus. Kendall, you're, first you're saying that Jesus would support the death penalty. Now you're you're saying that uh, you love AR-15s. I think you might want to read the Jesus parts, Kendall. Just putting it out there. God bless you. I got to run. We'll be right back with Jason and more of your calls. This is progress. This is what I do. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back. Hey, shout out to uh, Twitter user Blackheart Della, who just tweeted, Atheist listening to Fugelsang debate religion is a special kind of kink. That's how I plan it. We're not here to kink shame you. So if that's what works for you, God bless. You You go ahead. It works for me, too. I'm John Fugelsang. We're at Sirius XM Progress 866-997-4748. I am so pleased to welcome Dr. Jason Nichols back to the show. He's an award-winning full-time senior lecturer in the African-American Studies Department at the University of Maryland College Park. You may have seen him on Fox News or Al Jazeera or NBC News, and he regularly appears at Fox and Al Jazeera, Newsmax, MSNBC, and and uh, when we're lucky, we get him over here. Dr. Nichols, good evening. It's great to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me, John. Thank you. I was just saying that Jason, Chris, in the break, I was saying, hey, I'm, I hope you don't mind listening to our, our right-wing trolls. And you had the best line about that because you work at Newsmax. Yeah, yeah. I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm accustomed to, to right-wing trolls. I get a few of them. But I got to say, your your line when he said, you know, he supports the death penalty. And you were like, if there were no death penalty, he'd probably still be here. I was like, and he's, like, he's nice, by the way. Kendall, as, as right wing trolls go, you know, he, he, he's, he's a nice enough guy. I think he I think he's trying to mean well. Yeah, no, I, he, he was rather polite, much yes. more polite than my trolls. Up to, no, let me tell oh, you. No, we got those. We got those, too. We get those on Twitter. But we, once in a while, we get some real mouth breather haters here. Um, speaking of mouth breathing haters, what a day. Congresswoman Ilhan Omar has had for a party pretending to care about anti-Semitism. Oh, and let's promote Marjorie Taylor Greene and pledge our loyalty to Donald Trump right now. Um, I think this is going to backfire on the GOP professor. I, I don't see any way that this does not make Ilhan Omar look better and actually help uh, what her crusades are. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Um, you know, it's it's ridiculous. It lets everyone know uh, that this Congress right now, or this, this majority, this very slim majority held by the Republicans is not really serious about governing. You know what I mean? This is all, let's get back at people. Let's, you know, play this little tit for tat game that they deny they're pl- pay, playing. But we know Paul Gosar, when he got kicked off of his committees, it's because he threatened violence. You know, when these yeah. other you know, right wing figures, he showed a video. Taylor, he showed a video of him killing people in Congress. Right, and and Marjorie Taylor Greene is still threatening people with violence. <laughs> like to this very day, she's still out here saying, "Hey, if January sixth, if I had planned it, we would have come armed, and, and right. we would have won." And what what does winning mean under those circumstances? You would have overthrown the government. Like this is a joke that Ilhan Omar, who I, you know, 
if you believe she stuck her her foot in her mouth a couple of times, yeah, probably. I mean, she, you know, she said, you know, when she said some people did something, she could have stated that in a more artful way. But I completely I agree. The point she was trying to make there, you know what I mean? Yeah. She was saying, look, you can't blame everybody in within a group, which is the argument white folks make all the time when you talk about slavery. Like, hey, when you talk some about people cops, did something at some time. Yeah, it's the kind yeah. of argument. You can't blame them all for that. You're so right, Dr. Ilhan Omar. What she said was also about people supporting the civilian government of Israel. But she apologized when the Democrats censured her comments. She agreed with the vote and, and voted to agree with them. She has continued to apologize. She just voted for the resolution declaring Israel was a Democratic ally this week. And then there's Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about Rothschild's space lasers. There's Donald Trump calling Mark Zuckerberg Zuckerbucks and scolding American Jews for not behaving as well as the evangelicals. This is not about the Republican Party caring about anti. You got George Santos who lied about the Holocaust standing up there talk, playing crusader. My God, he's the perfect spokesperson for this party. They, they, yeah. they, they didn't do this to Ilhan Omar because she said anything anti-Semitic. They did it to Ilhan Omar because she's a brown skinned refugee Muslim. Absolutely. I mean, Donald Trump just hosted uh, a known Holocaust denier and anti-Semite at his house for dinner, you know. Uh, And as a matter of fact, you know, Kanye West was the one who was like uh, that (laughs) Donald Trump was so impressed with Nick Fuentes. So you can't tell me that this is about anti-Semitism or any other kind of ism. We know, of course, Trump has been talking about Elaine Chow and misspelling her name purposefully. Uh, and talking about her Coco Chow and yeah, saying that she's pro-China. And mind you, she's Taiwanese American. If there's anyone who doesn't like China, it would be the Taiwanese. But oh, you know, oh. again, none of this makes sense because it's just anti-Asian hate. We get all this anti-anti-Semitism, uh, but for some reason, Kevin McCarthy, again, who is in a stranglehold. Uh, of Marjorie Taylor Greene and of, uh, well, maybe not Marjorie Taylor Greene. She seems to be kind of his ally, but yeah. of uh, Matt Gates and and uh, Lauren Boebert, you know, he's doing what he thinks their bidding is. And so you're not going to get any kind of legislating. You're not going to get any kind of bar- bipartisan agreement on anything that will help Americans. All you're going to get is s- silly investigations and you know, these kind of tit for tat actions that that try to draw false equivalencies between all of these piles of anti-Semitism, anti-Asian hate, anti-blackness, and and try to say, hey, well, Ilhan Omar, you know, that's what they're going to do. And like you said, Ilhan Omar has, has stated some things not very well at times. But as you said, She's been contrite. She said, look, I've done this wrong. Um, and to do this at this point is is ridiculous to take her off of her committees. Absolutely. But again, I, I, I it makes perfect sense. It's keeping in their character. These people are trying to push a 30% sales tax right now. And they're trying to push investigations of Hunter Biden. And they're trying to make white people terrified that the government's coming for their gas stoves and their M&Ms. Uh, and that critical <laughs> race theory is going to turn your kids trans. I mean, this is this is the yeah. level of seriousness we've come to expect here. Oh, I want to play you a clip. This is uh, Leader Jeffries um, today. After the vote, 
to strip Ilhan Omar of her committee assignment. He put her on the budget committee right away. So she's going to be the most famous committee member in the Democratic Party after this. But here is uh, Leader Jeffries reminding us of what the House Republican policy platform actually is. A4. Extreme MAGA Republicans in the House have no real agenda when it comes to making life better for everyday Americans. Their agenda is to cut Social Security, cut Medicare, hold the United States economy hostage, and try and impose a 30% national sales tax on everyday Americans. That's it. He ain't lying. Yeah. Absolutely. All they really want is for you to pay Mark Zuckerberg's tab. You know what I mean? For you to pay Bloomberg's tab so he doesn't have to pay as much. Uh, For you to pay for all of these people, uh, you know, making working class and poor people pay these things. But again, one of the things that I think is really important just overall is that, you know, Democrats, not all, but generally, and not all the time, but Democrats work for the benefit of the working class, but don't speak to them. I agree. I agree. Republicans. Some of them them do it well, but they don't campaign it well. Go ahead, please. Right. I think Republicans are hostile to the working class, but message to them pretty well. And, and, And that's something that that Democrats have to fix. They've got to start going after Uh, the working class. I mean, you know, they're able, I mean, you have someone like J.D. Vance, who is literally, his whole book was hostile to the, I read that book. I was like, you know, because I was supposed to interview him, but he chickened out. Um, You know, I was like, (laughs) this entire book is hostile to working class people. I was thinking Hillbilly Elegy is going to be about his experience growing up, working class, and how he, you know, kind of that, you know, bootstrap story, but it really right. wasn't. It was like shaming them. And they, yeah. you know, they're working poverty class porn. Yeah. yeah. It was poverty porn. It was white ghetto porn, you know, for, for amusement. And, and, and I mean, I think his p- policy positions show, yeah, he's not here to fight for the least of us. He's not here to fight for non-billionaires. And while I agree with you about the Democrats needing to, you know, take a page out of Elizabeth Warren's book, take a page out of Bernie Sanders's book, these are people who actually, I, I think you could put either of those two senators on Fox News any day, and they would get right-wing people to see the wisdom in these positions. But I would point out, you know, Democrats won. They they consistently win the vote of the most poorest Americans. The New York Times tried to tell us that Donald Trump won because of economic anxiety. But in 2016, the poorest people voted for Hillary Clinton. And the same was true in 2020 when Joe Biden got more votes for him than any politician in history. So I, I agree they don't do it as well as they should. But but some of them do it and some of them do get the message across, just not on the FDR level scale we need. So I think it, I think Donald Trump did win in part because of economic anxiety, but just not economic anxiety from the poorest people. Yeah. Um, you know, he got it from middle America, the Rust Belt, who all, you know, the narrative is they're left behind. And actually, my friend Stein, Steinem, oh, why am I forgetting his name? I'm sorry. Uh, he's going to kill me for this, but he's a he's a professor at Americans uh, at American University. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's somebody who who is a good friend of mine and a mentor of mine, and he worked at PBS and a couple other networks. And, you know, he writes about it. He has a, an article called The Real Forgotten Americans. And one of the things he talks about is people in the he compares people in the Rust Belt right. in these areas that were supposedly left behind that 
were kind of moving towards Trumpism to the Mississippi Delta, to black areas in the Mississippi Delta. And those areas were far, uh, Leonard Steinhorn. <clears throat> okay. He's going to kill me yes. about that. I apologize, <laughs> Leonard. Leonard We're sending him the tape now. We're sending him the tape now. Go ahead. <laughs> right, exactly. But he, you know, part of his his whole thing is the real forgotten Americans. You know, they are Democratic voters. They're part of the Democratic base. Um, and they were not turning towards Trump or anything like that. It's these people who who really aren't far really left behind. But the narrative is victimization. The narrative is you're a victim. The narrative is, you know, immigrants are coming to, you know, wipe out all of these jobs. A lot of these people are homeowners. They may not necessarily be college educated. Some are, some aren't. But the narrative is you need to be anxious. You need to be afraid. You need to be afraid all the time for your safety. Some undocumented person is coming for you. Some, you know, black person is going to come into your neighborhood and make it dangerous. That's kind of what they peddle. Um, and so I think there was some economic anxiety involved. It just wasn't from the very poorest among us. And that's the whole notion of Christian nationalism, right? There's, there's always this heightened sense of emergency. We're always preparing for war in some way. There's an apocalypse coming. It's never love your enemy. It's always conquer your enemy, fight your enemy. And yeah, and, and it's the white heterosexual Christian majority always being told that they're at risk from these all-powerful trans children or trans soldiers or immigrants or migrants or teachers unions or whatever the boogeyman is this week. It's always the powerless who are demonized so the powerful will feel good about their hate. Absolutely. No, I mean, what what we've been seeing, you know, um, in terms of uh, anti-trans hate and, you know, the, the LGBT, anti-LGBT movements. Yeah. Um, and then they try to prop up someone like George Santos. It blows up in their face, you know, yep. but Amen. they're like, hey, look, we got a gay guy. You know, they've done that. Hey, look, we got a black guy. It's, you know, Byron Donalds or whomever. Uh, but smart Americans of all classes see right through that. You know what I mean? They see through the, the, the real identity politics, the real race hustle that they run. Yeah. Uh, real Americans see through all of that. They're like, I mean, we were talking earlier about Ron DeSantis and how most of his punching down on marginalized people, be they migrants or transgender children or, you know, as we're seeing now, AP African-American studies or DEI, like everything he does, it's all about meanness. It's all about going after marginalized groups. But I got to say, it's been quite a while since people with AIDS have been the group they're picking on. And I don't know, I need you to explain to me what's going on in Tennessee. Maybe after what happened in Memphis, they thought, hey, let's do something so ugly, people will stop talking about our cops murdering unarmed black motorists and talk about how we're cutting 8.3 million in CDC HIV funds. Why would Governor Bill Lee do this, doctor? And and this this was federal money that the federal government just wanted to give them. And they're saying, no, I'm behind on this story. What is going on with HIV funds in Tennessee? Yeah, well, first of all, um, so my wife works at an HIV clinic, not in Tennessee, of course, but she works at an HIV clinic. And I just want to say that for anybody out there, the only th- the the real thing if you get tested and you understand your status 
Um, the worst part is, is, I guess, the stigma because the healthcare has gotten to an incredible level right now. I mean, yeah. these guys come in, they're undetectable, and they can do that by getting a, a shot. Uh, I believe it's once every other month now. They've right. gotten it to that point. So just, you know, I know you have a large audience. I just want anybody out there who, who may be thinking of, about their own status, get tested. And yeah, it is not always. like it used to be. You know, in 1991, when you had to take 35 pills in a day, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's a completely different experience. The only thing that remains really is the stigma. And yeah. one thing I just want to say also is thank you, Dr. Fauci, uh, about that. But in addition, you know, what's going on in Tennessee is a travesty. Essentially, Governor Bill Lee is being cowardly uh, and... Uh, they were getting these funds to deal with HIV right. and the federal government was giving them this, this grant, but part of the, the grant money was going to go to uh, a unit that dealt with trans people in particular, right. you know, trans youth. And this trans uh, unit is uh, a unit that uh, also provides gender affirming care to okay young people and hopefully your audience doesn't know who matt walsh is you know oh, I, I mean I, we have a we have a smart and tormented audience who probably does know who matt walsh is i mean but, you know honestly i just found out who he was like a year ago and i wish yeah. i hadn't but um yeah. yeah you know matt walsh uh you know has been I mean, but it was all, it's ben shapiro too right i mean it was all these little baby fascists who were just kind of like bullying Governor Bill Lee into rejecting these funds and making HIV and AIDS worse in his state. I mean, that's what we're talking about here, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, and, and again, what they're telling you is, you know, this kind of anti-intellectual argument that don't listen to the experts because all of the experts say gender affirming care is important. Doesn't matter if it's the American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Board yeah. of Pediatrics, they all are in agreement that you need gender affirming care for trans children, um, yeah. that that is a good idea. Yeah, uh, it's not controversial. Yeah. But again, but but with HIV funds, this goes into everything they care about, right? This is a crusade against LGBT dignity. It's a crusade against sexual health. And it's a crusade against reproductive health as well. I mean, they're, again, it's not like these are taxpayer funds from Tennessee. They're turning down millions in free HIV prevention and treatment funds from the federal government just to be shitty, just because Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro scared Bill Lee, apparently. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing is these Republicans, if there's anything we should have learned from them from 2016 to the present is that they don't have any backbone. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I really they have they have, you know, no guts. You know, I mean, they're not you know, these guys aren't trans, but they have no balls. You know, if you're, <laughs> well, forgive it. me. Yeah. That. No, I, I mean, these it. guys just have no absolute spine. And when they feel like public opinion will go against them, even if they know it's the right thing to do. When Dr. King, you know, someone in, in one of your other callers mentioned Dr. King, I think it was a pastor that I heard yes. was talking about Dr. King. One of the things yes. Dr. King said, you know, you know, there's a lot of things that ask, is it politic? But the conscience asks, is it right? 
You know what I mean? It's something, the right thing. And Bill Lee knows doggone well. He's not a, well, he's not a genius, but he's not stupid. He knows what's right and what's wrong. He knows that his state needs HIV funds. He knows that uh, Tennessee is a, is a working class uh, Southern state. It's, you know, it's not Connecticut here. We're, you know, we're talking about Tennessee. They need that, those federal funds for health care. But yet he's willing to turn down funds that are dedicated to health care that are going to help rein That's in it. one of the biggest scourges of our lifetime, which is HIV AIDS. And you he's know willing what, to Dr. let people die. Yeah. And, and as far as I can see, to, Tennessee to avoid bad press. They, they, they still haven't talked about why they're turning down these millions of dollars. Like, they're still not saying what their reason was. And to me, you know, we talk a lot about the short-sightedness of some of these GOP policies. Let's win today, regardless of how bad it is for us tomorrow. Let's seem mean today, because we'll be on the news tonight being mean to minorities, and that'll make certain people watching Tucker happy. But right. this just seems to me like another way the Republican Party is just trying to drive young voters away young people are grossed out by homophobia in ways that gen x can't imagine i mean gen y and 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 gen z and millennials they have been raised hating homophobia and so again it's another example of this party realizing that they are going to within their own generation be seen as bigoted ghouls they just don't care about the long-term negative impacts on themselves but again, the, here's the thing, the, the Daily Wire, they're afraid of their own base. That's what they're afraid of. And yeah. the Daily Wire, um, as much as we, we want to make them seem fringe, they're as, po- they're as powerful as, you know, sure. a lot of major news organizations. I don't know if you saw the whole thing where they offered Steven Crowder $50 million. Yeah. You know? know, I was like, they have $50 million to give away to one guy, you know, and a jack rabbit like freaking Steven Crowder? Like... These they do have a big megaphone and they're afraid that Fox News is going to pick it up. They're going to lose the boomers. They're going to lose the the, you know, uh, the millennial conservatives. They're going to lose, you know, that those audiences and they're going to get pummeled. And Bill Lee is afraid he, right. he's willing to let people die. These people are more concerned about their poll numbers and their popularity than they are about human life. Always, you know, and, and and the thing is, John, this is the party that says that they're pro-life, but they're willing to let people die of AIDS, something that no yeah. one has yeah. to die of anymore. Let me be clear. As yeah. as I said, you don't have to die of AIDS now. That, that's that's one of the things that I, I just want to repeat over and over and over again. If you know your status, you don't have to die. Is it is not something that's just resolved or uh, reserved for the wealthy. It's not just Magic Johnson. That's right. But again, you, these are the whoever you are. People. But the pro-life people are the ones who don't want to listen to science, don't want to listen to climate science. Don't tell me you care about the unborn when you reject the science of our climate. They want more AR-15s on the streets. They people who they trust people who lie to them during a pandemic. They love the death penalty. You, you know, uh, pro-life sounds really good, but I judge them by the lives they're fighting for. Before I let you go, Jason, I, I, I would be most remiss if we didn't talk a minute about policing. It's uh, it's now six days since the horrific videos of the deliberate murder of Tyree Nichols were posted. And um, yesterday we were playing a lot of cuts from the funeral, which was very moving. We've been talking a lot with people about what 
solutions would look like on the national or the state and local level. And also, I, I know you want to talk about plain co- plainclothes policing uh, as well. It, I, I'm just a fan of this debate, and I'm, I don't know, I, I kind of feel like this footage makes it harder for future brutal cops to get away with it. And I think, I think these guys just have to be scared into decency. Yeah, I, you know, and I'm not a fan of plainclothes policing and these so-called elite units. You know, you have yeah. the Scorpion unit. Um, and again, while C, uh, Chief C.J. Davis has done a really great job post this event, you know, she's, she's made all the right moves. Um, she also had a lot of these officers out here on the so-called elite unit without a whole lot of experience, no sergeant. Uh, I think the, the most experienced somebody had was like five and a half years. You had guys with as little as two years experience out there unsupervised. And uh, Nobody I think, in charge. That, yeah, we, we have to look at, you know, leadership while she's done things after the death of, Ty, of Tyree Nichols, there were probably things she could have done ahead of time. There shows a certain amount of disorganization. I think these units are, are a negative when you look at uh, you know, I'm from the Baltimore area. You look at the gun trace task force. That's right. Uh, if people are familiar with that, where they mm-hmm. were basically rogue running around robbing drug dealers, you know, selling drugs back to drug dealers um, and violating people's rights all yeah. over the place in these plain closed units. I don't understand how or what the benefit is to having plain clothes units. Now that's very different than undercover. If you're undercover, of course, wear plain clothes. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah. But these plain clothes units, it basically says we're going to police like other police, except we're going to leave the professionalism <laughs> behind. You know what I mean? I don't understand yeah. why they can't do a lot of these things in uniform. Um, yeah. And a lot of times when they're running up on these people, there was another case um, in Memphis, where a guy said that he was threatened by one of the officers, you know, before. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and Not a surprise. Again, he, you know, when he, when you read his account, this person, the citizen, was like, "We didn't know who they were. We thought that we were getting carjacked. Some guys jumped out, you know, and and they had on jeans and t-shirts, and you know, I didn't know who they were. I didn't until I saw." that they had police vests. So uh, it, it just, to me, it doesn't make sense. I think we need to bring professionalism back to uh, policing. And one of the things that I believe, and I know there are some, you know, a lot of progressives who disagree with me, but I think one of the ways that we can change policing is by paying police more. I, I think agree with that. police yeah. officers need to be paid more. No, I because I want to. I want to pay teachers more. I want to. I want to pay nurses more, and I want to pay cops more. Sure, absolutely. With That's what I with with, with guidelines. I mean, let's not forget Joe Biden in his convention speech in the summer of 2020 when he took the nomination included the words, "We are going to root out white supremacists from our police departments." I don't know mm-hmm. how you would do that, but I was shocked a Democrat running for president would say those words in my lifetime. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think it's really really important that he said that and he you know he was attacked for it but he was sure. you know I, I have to give joe biden credit he he stood firm on that and the thing is the only problem that i have with that is he should have said we need to root out white supremacy 
not these individual white supremacists. Nice. Because as we saw, these these five officers were were black. Five of the six officers directly involved in this whole thing. So it's not that they're white supremacists per right. se, but they are working, you know, for a white supremacist culture, and um, you know that needs to change. And again, C.J. Davis was uh, in charge of the Red Dog Police Department or the Red Dogs out there in uh, in Atlanta. And if, if you listen to, you know, 90s hip hop like I do, they always talked about how the Red Dogs were out there uh, basically violating people's rights. Um, so I think there's a lot, there's a big discussion that needs to be had. I mean, people are talking about chokeholds and, and that is important, I, you know, and all of that stuff. I'm not trying to downplay, although I, I've been somebody who's argued that chokeholds in many cases are less dangerous than strikes. And we see that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, people thought it was all by about strikes, chokeholds. You mean f- physical p- punching, you mean by strikes? Yeah, I mean, punching, yeah. you know, punching well, or This poor man people. was killed. This poor man, this poor man was handcuffed and they couldn't stop punching him in the head as hard as they could. I mean, right. right I, and, and that's, that's the thing. I, I, own, you know, I think we made this big focus on chokeholds and it is true. I, you know, I'm somebody, I'm a martial artist. So, I, you know, I can tell you there's absolutely no way to not resist being choked. That's that's, right. <laughs> that's something you will resist that. Um, Let me just ask about qualified immunity, because in the last two weeks, I've come to become uh, very militant. Jason, I've really evolved on this fast. I've always been in favor of getting rid of qualified immunity, um, but I, I'm now a big fan of uh, civilian lawsuits against precincts for cases like this. And uh, the money comes out of the cops pension fund. I think you start Absolutely. threatening that and you will see a very different kind of blue wall uh, making its members behave. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've, I've been saying that for a very long time that we need to go after police pensions and, you know, all the cops, all those so-called good cops. You know, there are lots of them. I have some friends are. that are cops who, who want to better their communities. They, they get real nervous. They're like, well, I don't think we should. And I'm like, well, if you do the, the things right and you hire the right people and you get uh you have people understand the duty to intervene is gonna you know is gonna save their retirement yes you know because they're actually talking about the fact that i know chicago one year i think it was like close to 150 million dollars they paid out in in you know use of force uh you know lawsuits and and you know between Chicago and LA plays pays out like 90 million every year. I mean, this is a tax on us. That's it. You and I you are know, paying for it. Why should you we why should I for pay for somebody who beats a guy to death or or That's shoots it. a guy unnecessarily? That's like, it. The cops don't pay. I mean, if it's a show van and they go to jail, then yes. But if it's the taxpayers, then we're the ones who pay for these murders consistently. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we we've seen this over and over and over again. These guys uh, and women, um, if, if we want to see them start intervening and taking that seriously and taking de-escalation seriously, yes, sir, they've got to they've got to be financially liable. And again, I also, in addition to paying them more, you know, exactly. I believe pay them more. And by the way, smart politics to come out for those two things at the same time. Smart Democrats would get on board with that because most people would agree. Yes, let's crack down on the racist and let's give them a decent salary and teachers and nurses, too. Dr. Jason, Absolutely. I'm so sorry we're out of time. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all your doings? 
So first of all, uh, I have to promote my new podcast, and that is uh, the Working Class Elites podcast. Definitely check us out. We're on Spotify. Um, and hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll be able to get John Fugel saying on there very Anytime soon. Anytime you'll have me. Anytime you'll have me. Absolutely. Hey, well, in that case, I'm going to bring you on every week. But, uh, right. you know, we, we're definitely um, doing that. Also, you can find me on Twitter at D-R-J-A-S-O-N-N-I-C-H-O-L-S, at Dr. Nichols. Um, and you can also find me on Facebook, uh, Jason Nichols, Ph.D. Thank you, Dr. Nichols. I hope you have a great weekend. We're really honored to have you join us on Thursdays this year. Thank you. This is Progress. Progress.